You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We just we finished a year-long series almost in the Gospel of John. Uh, this summer we spent a few weeks in some topical um, studies through what it means to be the church, and then now we launch into our fall series going through a tremendous book in the Old Testament, and that's through the book of Joshua. And maybe you haven't had a lot of exposure to Joshua. There's some famous battles and stories and, and a lot happening in there. More, most importantly, it teaches us, like, like every book of the Bible, it teaches us about God. It teaches us about who he is and what he has done. This is a, a story about God. And, and I'm really excited to kind of launch into this with you. And I want to first just talk about where does Joshua fit into like the whole story of the Bible? Where does it fit into the story of God's redemption plan? The, the true story of the whole world. Um, if you, you have your Bible, you have the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch there. And then the next book is Joshua. If you're trying to figure out where is this, it's part of just the history of Israel, of God's people. And it is, Genesis is obviously like the beginning of things, right? So where does Joshua fit? Well, Genesis we know is the beginning. And in Genesis, we see the beginning of a few things. First, we see the beginning of heaven and earth. We see how God creates all things out of nothing. We see how God creates all things good. And in this creation, he places man and woman in uh, paradise where they enjoy perfect relationship with God, with one another, with all of God's creation, uh, where they have dominion over God's creation and tend to it in all joy. And then they rebel against God. Their desire is uh, opposition against God's good will and plan for their life. And then Genesis records this other kind of beginning, and it is the beginning of a life in this now broken world. What will life look like now that they have fallen from uh, this innocence and this paradise. There's a world of pain, a world of suffering, a world of decay, and spiritual and physical death. And it's the first that the world has ever seen. And now they have to try to function in this life uh, that is not working as it should. But in the midst of all this, God, he starts a new beginning. He brings the beginning of a promise. He promises that all said things will become untrue that he will restore all of creation, that he will bring actually a new creation, that he'll bring rescue uh, to even the, the hearts and lives of his people. And he does this by choosing one man. He goes to Abraham and he makes a promise to Abraham. He says, I'm gonna give you a future. I'm gonna give you a, a, a home. I'm going to give you a people beyond the, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he says, but I don't have any children, and I'm 100 years old. And he says, but I will do it. I will be faithful to you. And he does, and Abraham has a son, Isaac, and Isaac has son, Jacob, and Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and he has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of the people of God that we know as the Israelites. And this people becomes great. We start to see God's promises coming true. God is making a people for himself and giving his presence and love and favor and blessing to this people. But they are enslaved in Egypt by Pharaoh and this wicked army and through the jealousy of Pharaoh. They're enslaved for 400 years. But God says, I haven't forgotten you. I've promised to bring you into this land and to give you a future, to give you a home, and I will be your God and you will be my people. And they cry out to God that he would remember his covenant with them, and he sends Moses to rescue them from Egypt. 
And he rescues them, and Pharaoh and his army are defeated, and they are brought into the wilderness where they're now pursuing that land that God had promised to them. But sin is, it plagues their, the, a whole generation, and a whole generation of God's people die in the wilderness without ever obtaining this land. And God still says, I haven't forgotten you. I will bring you into this land. I will be among you forever. I will rescue you once and for all. Moses dies and he calls Joshua. And he says, Joshua, it's time to get up. It's time to get into the land that I promised you. And this book is about that. And that's where we pick up. We pick up in this great story of God to be faithful to his people. And just as uh, epic as Genesis and Exodus are, we see some epic revelation of the character and purposes and plan of God for his people through this sliver of history uh, a long time ago. It's important for us. It teaches us about who God is. It also teaches us what it looks like to live a life of faithfulness and obedience and trust in God. This is, all, uh, this is for us if you want to grow in your faith. If you want to know what does it look like to trust God, to follow him, the book of Joshua is for you. And so God doesn't give up on his people. He doesn't give up on us. Uh, why don't we pick up in Joshua chapter 1 and start at the very beginning and pick up in this history um, what I just brought you through. This is where God approaches Joshua, speaks to him, and says it's time it's time to take that promise that I made a long time ago. So Joshua chapter 1 will be in verse 1 through 9. Uh, so why don't you join me as we read this history. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall never depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is God's word. Well, in these opening passages, these opening verses, God is speaking directly to Joshua. He's speaking directly to him. He is commissioning him. He's commanding him for action to take his people, the multitude of people, into the promised land. And this direct and very personal address from God to Joshua, it mixes these promises and 
these commands to deepen Joshua's faith. He is strengthening Joshua's faith to believe in him, to believe in what is about to happen, and to kind of gird himself in courage to, to walk with him and to follow in what he's commanding. He tells him to be courageous. And that's really going to be the theme of our time together throughout the book of Joshua. It is this call to courage. What, what is courage? I think our, our culture defines it in, in one way. I think that it's defined in Scripture maybe a little differently. I think today courage has come to mean uh, bravery. It has come to be associated with like heroic deeds of, of taking a, a big risk without knowing the outcome. Or taking a big risk even though you know the outcome is going to be bad. But courage here is a little different. It's something very different. To be courageous is primarily, it's a heart word. It's not a word of just action, it's a heart word. He's, he's speaking to his heart. It's not so much a strength of the will or a strength of his body, but it is a strength of the heart to believe that a certain outcome that has been promised will come true. So God is not telling jo Joshua, hey, just trust me in this. We don't know what the future holds, but just be brave. We will face it together. But instead he is saying, I'm telling you exactly what will happen in an exact manner in which it will happen. And to have courage is actually not to have courage in his own strength and his own might, but to have courage in God who says he will do what he will do. Joshua is about to accomplish what God had promised to his people 2,000 years prior. And God is, he's not giving Joshua a pep talk, right? He's not saying, you could do this, I believe in you. In fact, the entire book is never about that. It's never about God saying, you can do this, I believe in you, believe in yourself. He is saying, I will do this, believe in me. I will use you to bring about the things that I have promised. He's not saying dig deep, Joshua, deep inside and find that will to conquer this land and to bring my people into paradise. Rather, God is saying, believe that I will do this with everything in you, with everything in your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your passion, with all of your energy, believe that I will do what I've promised to do and you will personally experience the success and the blessing that I've promised to you. And it takes courage to believe God. It takes courage for us to believe God. Courage to believe that what God says for us is good, even when it doesn't feel good. So to, take, to have courage is to, can literally mean to grasp or to take hold of. And what is it here that, that God is asking Joshua to take hold of, to grab onto? It's not himself. It's not his own will. It's not his own strength and bravery. He's saying, take hold of me. Believe in what I'm saying. Take hold of my promises. And here God gives Joshua these three promises to hold on to. Three things to grasp that will bolster his faith, and it will bolster our faith as well if we believe. If we have courage to believe what God says, we will also be bolstered in our faith, and we will enjoy what God has promised to us. And so here's the first. We have He's inviting Joshua into courage to believe that God is faithful. And these are amazing promises that God is giving to Joshua. He says, you will take the land. You will uh, overcome your enemies. And every land, as far as you can see the sun set, 
It will all be yours. I will fight for you. You will not be alone. I will always be with you. All these amazing promises, 2,000 years in the waiting. And, and the difficult part of relationship with God is not in us hearing God's promises, but I think actually in believing that they're true. I mean, they have books. I've, I remember these from even a, a, as a young child. I remember reading through books. They have books that have been published that, that are just titled All the Promises of God in the Bible. Have you seen these? Just, just hundreds and hundreds upon hundreds of promises of God in Scripture. The hard part is not trying to figure out what does God promise. The hard part for us is actually believing that what he promises will come true. Promises mean nothing unless God can commit to keeping those promises. And here's a little bit, a little but a very important clue that God gives to Joshua that I think strengthens his courage to actually believe that God is faithful to do what he says he will do. And it's this little phrase that we see a couple times in this passage. He says, just as I promised Moses, I promised you. Just as I promised. He says, I will give you the land just as I promised to Moses. He says, I will be with you wherever you go just as I was with Moses. And here is what this teaches about the impact of God's faithfulness on our personal faith. What does God's faithfulness have to do with our personal faith. Everything that God speaks to Joshua is a continuation of what he spoke to Moses. Everything that God spoke to Moses was a continuation of what God spoke to Abraham. Everything that God spoke to Abraham was a continuation of what he spoke to Adam and Eve that day that they fell from paradise. That I will not abandon you, that I will be with you, that my plans will be accomplished, that I will be faithful every single time. So he's not just coming into the life of Joshua and saying, hey, I'm just, hear me out on this. I'm just spitballing. Let's do this together. It's a great plan. No, he's saying, this is all that I've ever been is faithful. This is all that I've ever said is that this will happen. For thousands of years, I've been making this promise and I've never gone back on a single one of my promises. God does not change his mind. He does not go back on his promises. He will not fail to deliver on anything he has ever promised. God's faithfulness doesn't hinge on the faithfulness of Moses. We know that. Moses failed. The people of God failed. And God is very clear to say to Joshua, my faithfulness doesn't hinge on his character, but on mine. And it won't hinge on yours, but on mine. We often think God's promises are like asking, you know, he's like asking us to accomplish something with him. Like if I get called in the day, you know, from my wife and says, hey, we're having uh, chicken curry tonight. Can you pick up some chicken? If I don't pick up chicken, we're, we're ordering pizza, right? So it's not a promise to say we're having this chicken tonight. Because if I fail to bring home that, we're not having that. We're going to have to order something else. But this is not how God makes promises. He says, this is what I will do. Come home and you will find out. Come home and you will see. He says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I've already done. This is what I've always been. This is what I will do and am doing. Have courage to believe that this will happen. And we get the joy of, of witnessing 
and enjoying God's promises as they come to pass as we obey him and walk with him and obey his commands. It takes courage to hear God's word and to believe it. We're going to see so much in the book of Joshua about wonderful things that God does through, through Joshua, through his army, and through the, the, the Israeli people, the Israelites. But this is, a, this is a story about God. Primarily, it's not a story about us just trying to like, really be courageous and be really brave in our life so that maybe God will do great things through us. God is wanting us to know something about him, primarily that he does what he says he will do. And he loves us all the way. And it takes courage to believe that. It takes courage to walk with him and to not doubt that. It also takes courage to believe that he is with you, that he is with us, that he will not abandon us. You know, here's maybe the greatest promise of all in, in, in this whole passage, I think, is because it supports everything else that God says. You know, what good is it if God promises all of these things, but he doesn't give us relationship? He doesn't give us himself. He doesn't give us that connection and, and relationship with him. And this is the promise of God's presence. In verse 5, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And in the first two promises, here's what God's promising. When he says, I'll be faithful and I'll be with you, here's what he says. I will never let you down and I will never let you go. So Joshua, he's getting rickrolled, right? So he's, uh, no one? Okay. I thought it was funny. I'm never going to let you down. I'll never let you go. We have this, okay, you're starting to get it. I appreciate that. We have this equal assurance from God. We have this equal assurance. Whatever he promised to Moses, he promises to Joshua. What he promises to Joshua, he promises to us. It's the same God speaking the same things to our hearts in our lives today. And we have that promise continued to be fulfilled and ultimately fulfilled and guaranteed through the cross of Christ where Jesus becomes our true savior and rescuer and redeemer where he truly fights our enemies and conquers our greatest enemy, sin and death itself, we have this equal assurance from God. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, he tells his followers, he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This same promise from the very beginning, which made God's people the most unique of all nations in all the world was that they had a God who was present. A God who was with his people. And this is the great miracle of Christmas was Emmanuel. This great, bizarre, radical promise that God would come and be among his people is something that, we have, that God's people have always enjoyed that was so special, and that is just the presence of God. It is the promise that he will always be with his people, and it's the promise when Jesus ascended into heaven that he would send the Holy Spirit to be with us, and it's the promise that when Jesus returns one day, we are told in Revelation that the greatest thing that will happen is what? That he will be with us. I mean, this is the greatest promise that we await. And that's just to be in the presence of God and to enjoy his love, to enjoy him forever without judgment, without condemnation, without any further assessment of our character, but just to be with him and know that we are completely loved no matter what. 
That is what is so unique about Israel. That is what's so unique about being a Christian. Here's what God is wanting to communicate to Joshua and also to us. God is more committed to you than you ever can be to him. And I know when you, when you hear that, it's easy to say, well, not me, maybe others. Like, I, no, I am committed. You will never be more committed to God than he is to you. Your greatest efforts, your greatest commitment, your greatest promises to him will always fall short. And he is reiterating throughout the pages of scripture forever and ever, even to the very end. He says, no, I am more committed to you than you ever will be to me. And I will prove it by giving you everything, my own son. And if I have not kept my own son from you, how will I keep anything else from you? Moses had this unique relationship with God that was, that was so new and foreign to their minds. And that was that a human could be in the presence of God and not be killed immediately. And so God allowed, by his own special provision, to make himself known to this human in a way that no one else had known, where, where he could have this relationship, where he could walk with God, where Moses could walk with him, where he could be in his presence and not die. And that allowed him to be this like go-between or this mediator between God and the people, right? So the people of God felt comforted in knowing they could kind of by proxy have this relationship and presence of God because of Moses. So Moses was a mediator. He was a go-between. And so they're like, hey, Moses, can you go to God and talk to him on our behalf? And so Moses would go to God and be actually in the presence of God, talk to God on their behalf, and he would then come back and give them the word of God, the commands of God, and the blessing of God. And so by that way, they were able to feel this connection and closeness with God. Okay, Moses dies. What do you think they're thinking? Now what? Moses is dead, and we still haven't gotten what everything that God said he promised to us. Now what? You gotta imagine, they have got to be terrified, thinking this is our only hope, to be close to God, and now we're cut off from God. But immediately, God comes to Joshua and says, no, I... I will be with you as I was with Moses, and I will never leave you. And so his closeness, his connection is not contingent on, on us. It's contingent on his promise. Moses has died, and Joshua would die, and God would continue to reiterate his promises, and he still does today. And we feel this way when tragedy hits. We feel this way when discouragement comes into our life, or there's confusion, when crisis hits us, there's a sense that overcomes us, that makes us wonder, is God going to leave me too? Is he going to leave me now? When, when, life, when things are difficult and there's guilt, there's shame, there's loss, there's pain either done because of you or to you that you had no control over, there is that feeling of disconnection and loss of communion with God. You know the feeling. And here, God reiterates to Joshua, I'm not going anywhere. That may be the greatest thing you could say to a person in a time of need is, I'm here and I'm not leaving. Remember, courage is a heart issue. Right? So he's not calling Joshua just to be tough, be a man, suck it up. It's time to fight. It's not, this isn't about the will of Joshua. He's talking to his heart. It's not a matter of willpower or physical strength. And God is wanting to reveal his own heart 
to the heart of Joshua. And here is his heart. God does not know how to be and has no desire to be absent from his people. He doesn't know how to not be close to his people he loves. He always finds a way. He is always present. He is always pursuing and he is, he's always wooing us. He is always drawing near to us, even when we're running in the opposite direction. When we feel alone throughout the struggles that we face, God is here to lovingly connect with us and to tell us that he is with us and we can believe in him. You know what it's like to be present but not really there, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a daydreamer. I think about things all the time. I can be physically present and not emotionally present. I think about things like, did my, when was the last time my dog had water? Um, where do squirrels eat, sleep at night? Most of my daydreaming is about animals. Um, but just constantly thinking, constantly thinking about things. And it's so easy just to get lost in, and, and just to be physically present and going through the motions and just not emotionally there. God doesn't know how to be like that with us. And actually assures us the opposite. Even when he is not physically present with us, he is spiritually present with us, that his heart is emotionally present with us. He doesn't know how to be emotionally unpresent. He doesn't know how to be disengaged. He doesn't know how to be unresponsive. And so he can't bear to be at a distance from his people. And so here's what God is inviting Joshua into. Because it is, it, it, it's, there's a call to action for Joshua. He doesn't just sit by, he doesn't just like let go and let God. There's obvious uh, application here for what God is asking Joshua to do. He is inviting himself to surrender at his absolute core, to surrender his life into the care of God with everything he has to put himself and his whole life into the loving care of God. And Joshua crosses the Jordan with the people of God into the promised land, and there is going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be a lot of people waiting to defend their own land and to kill you. And so it's not just in believing, okay, God's going to do what he says, and I have courage to cross the Jordan. Things don't get bad until they get to the other side. And he will need courage. Courage to do what? Not to fight for his life and to swing the sword as fast as he can but to fight for his attention to be fixed on God rather than on his own strength. That's going to be the fight of his life, to keep his heart attached to God. That's why God says, don't forget what I told Moses in verse 7 to 8. Meditate on my word day and night. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right, focus. Keep your eyes fixed on me, on what I have said, on what I have done, on how I've been faithful, on how I will be, continue to be faithful. And only then can we really have the courage to believe that God will fight for us. That's the, that's the, other, that's the last part of the courage that we need. The courage to believe what? That he will fight for us that he will sustain us, that he will guide us in all truth. In general, Joshua was written to provide us with this history of just this one slice of history of God's
people, the life of God's people at this particular time in their life. Again and again, it shows us that God is in control of history, that he's in control of the outcome of uh, the destiny of his people, that he is in control of all of creation, that he sustains and governs and ordains all things to come to pass exactly as he desires it to be. And not only in, in these big, obvious, dramatic miracles, but also in this consistent way in which he walks with his people, gives his word to his people, and guides them in their life. Every single victory, every victory that God's people have over their enemies, every single one, God gets credit for. There's not a single time, and you'll see a lot of it, There's not a single time where Joshua says, yes, I did it. There's never never a time where you see these like groups of just high-fiving each other for their bravery. It is always, look at what God did. I'm glad we trusted him. And in fact, when they get in the way and they take their eyes off of God, that's when actually they lose. That's when things go bad. That's when they suffer. If you want to have success in life, he says, do you want things to go well in your life? then keep your attention on God. God's activity in all of this was in order that he might give to Israel the land that he promised to them and to all their descendants. But more specifically, Joshua was written to reveal a greater fulfillment of God's promises to his people. There is, uh, is in a very real sense, right? This is about a and a nation and a people at a specific time and place for their blessing, for their joy, to show us about who God is and what he is like, which ultimately points to something far greater. There is a better inheritance than a a land in which to inhabit. There is a better Joshua to lead God's people into salvation. There's a better conqueror of our enemies. The God of... Joshua is also the God of the New Testament, who is the God of the church today, is the God that we follow. Here's how we understand the promises of God in Old Testament books like this. When there's, there's physical fulfillments of the promises of God, it teaches us what God is like. It is meant to teach us about the character and nature and faithfulness of God. And when he tells us, I'm going to rescue you from your sin, he, he takes enslaved people from Egypt and brings them into a, a land where they are free and free to worship. When he tells that us, I will never forsake you, I'll never leave you, he, he gives us this picture of himself as this pillar of smoke to guide his people through the wilderness during the day and a pillar of fire to guide them at night. When he tells them, I will forgive your sins, he creates this sacrificial system where animals and, uh, are sacrificed and their blood is shed in the place of their sin. But all of this is meant to teach us what God is willing to do for us and what he will do. It is all meant to teach us about the purposes and promises of God that are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ at the cross. There's an attitude of of courage and and bravery and character and strength that says this, if you can face life's challenges head on, or if you can succeed in life 
in what you determine to do. And if you can have a worthy life, then you will be worthwhile to God. If you could be a good Christian and do all that God has commanded to you, then you will, you'll be worthy of his love. But the message of Joshua says this, it is your limitation, not your abundance, that qualifies you to be with God. It is not the strength of your faith, but the object of, the, of your faith that saves you. Oh, Tim Keller says this when he talks about this branch on the edge of a cliff and you fall off this cliff and you grab onto this branch to save your life, right? And he says, it is, it is not your, the strength of your faith that saves you, but rather the strength of that branch that is going to save you. And this isn't just about having faith in ourself to acquire all that God has promised to us, but it is faith in him who has proven himself over and over and over again without fail to do exactly what he said he would do and to bring us into ultimately his presence where there will be the fullness of joy forever. See, Joshua points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He points us to Jesus. The ultimate great fulfillment of, of all the Old Testament redeemers that we have seen, that have been foreshadowed. Moses fails. Joshua would fail. And many after him will fail. You and I will fail, but God will not fail. He would send his son to be strong and courageous, to face down our greatest nightmare and enemy on the cross, and he would not blink, not even a little. He would be courageous. He would stand between us and death itself through the sacrifice of his own life. And so now with, with confidence, in confidence and courage, we are able to see him, to pursue him, to obey him and to follow him, not mustering up some will in our own heart, but looking at him and knowing that he is faithful, that his character will endure and we can trust in him. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.